0: Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. In this, the fourth episode of Pondering Scripture, we're really going to see the so what of the first 18 verses of chapter 1, or according to verse 19, the so then essentially what James will do is he'll make a more specific application as to what is expected of the Christian in light of the foundation he's laid in verses 1 through 18. We've established that in order to go through trials, James tells us that we need wisdom. And the way we're going to get that wisdom is asking of God. And then we've also asserted ourselves that the wisdom that God is going to grant us in that answering of the prayer for wisdom, it's going to be granted through the study of God's Word. That's where He offers us His wisdom. Furthermore, we have established that there are going to be two ways we can ask for that wisdom. In the interest of our faith, or the spirit of doubting and a double-mindedness. And we've established that when we begin verse 13, And then we go through verse 18, that that essentially gives us the picture of what it means to ask in faith and to ask with a double-mindedness and therefore being one who doubts. The one who asks in faith is really wanting to know what God wants him to do and become. So he's asking in the interest of his faith, which would include a true interest and valuing of the wisdom of God offered in his word. He understands that the word of truth, as we saw in verse 18, is that which comes from God and is therefore good and perfect, and it is what brought us forth. It's what made us a child of God. And so logically, if we're truly interested in becoming a better Christian, establishing the patience that is talked about in the first several verses of this chapter, and growing closer to God and being further fit to be the Christian that God would have us to be, especially when it comes to enduring trials, then we're going to just follow that word that originally brought us forth as a child of God and separated us from sin in the first place. But the doubting and the double-mindedness comes with verses 13 through 15, where there's a hidden reservation to go a direction already decided upon before even asking God for wisdom. And that's the way of a man's opinion and his reasoning and a man's wisdom. But really what that is, is it's temptation. It's temptation to do evil because anything contrary to God's word is deemed rightly evil and is sinful. And so don't be deceived about that. Don't make yourself think that your original desires and thoughts are somehow in conjunction with and harmony with God's wisdom which is quite obviously in conflict with your opinions and desires. That doesn't come from God. And what it will do is give birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. That's why he says in verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So then is a transition phrase, which looks back to the previous text of verse 18, but it also connects itself with the being swift to hear. And so what are we to be swift to hear? Well, verse 18 introduced the word of truth. He's telling us, since the wisdom of God is found in his word, you need that wisdom to undergo trials and be more mature when you come out the other side and successfully endure them to receive the crown of life in the end. So then, be swift to hear God's word. Don't have a double-mindedness. Don't have a doubting spirit which would contend with God's wisdom offered in His word, but ask for that wisdom with the wholehearted understanding and direction of purpose that will embrace God's will and His wisdom, and then do it. So be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. You might have heard the phrase given from time to time, especially by those who are older and perhaps speaking to the youth or their children, that God gave you two ears and one mouth. So what we need to do first is be quiet and listen. We need to hear perhaps twice as much as we speak. Because a lot of what we say is going to be in response to what we hear. And if we're not hearing carefully, then what we say might be wrong. And so we need to be swift to hear, especially as it pertains to God's Word. Don't be so quick to speak against God's Word. Sometimes when we're studying with those who aren't Christians, trying to to teach them the truth and get them to an understanding that their ways are sinful and that God requires their obedience in order to be saved, their faith that works in order to be saved, we often get frustrated because they're so quick to respond. And what they're doing is responding against God because we're giving them His Word. And and we want to say what James says right here. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. Stop, stop replying against God. Just let Him speak to you. But also be slow to wrath. Because a lot of the times when... When someone who is in sin or is going their own direction, when they are approached with God's Word and someone corrects them and shows them that their ways were not correct, their ways were very misguided, and their ways were leading them down the path to destruction and not the path to righteousness and to heaven. Sometimes they're inclined, especially if they're double-minded and especially if if they don't have the heart cultivated to receive the truth, they're going to respond with wrath. They're going to get angry. I think we see that with the Pharisees in the New Testament and the Gospels. We, we see that with many other examples within the New Testament. We've seen it ourselves personally, and we can offer probably many anecdotes that that show that a lot of times people do respond to God's word with wrath. But But here's the thing. He says, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If if what we're really interested in is being righteous before God, we want to do what is right in God's sight, then don't be moved to wrath when we hear his word. That phrase, righteousness of God, the phrase, it's found seven times in the New Testament. It's found five of those times in the book of Romans, one time in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, and then one time here in James 1 and verse 20. And if you study the various contexts carefully, it never really concerns the fact that God himself is righteous, but it always concerns the system of God's righteousness. That is the plan or will of God, the standard by which he makes man righteous. And it's essentially the gospel of Christ. It makes a man right before God. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, essentially, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, Romans 1 and verse 17. Consider what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 9. His goal was to receive Christ so that he could not have his own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That's what it's talking about. If you really want to be righteous before God and not just righteous according to your own standard, then put that wrath aside and just be willing to accept God's word. Because if you respond against God and you you get angry when God's word comes to you, that's not going to produce his righteousness. That's not going to do you any good. In fact, back in verses 13 through 15, when he's talking about temptation to do evil, that's what that wrath is coming from a person who has his own desires and thinks his own desires are better than God's ways. And so when he hears God's ways that conflict with his own desires, he just gets angry, but that will not do us any good. He continues with this thought of being swift to hear by saying in verse 21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. We're swift to hear the word of truth. Verse 18, which is described as the implanted word able to save our souls in verse 21. Now, part of that being swift to hear and slow to speak is the reception of God's word. And he says, in order to first receive God's word, you've got to lay something aside. The reason why a man might be quick to being angry about God's direction and correction and reproof The reason why one might be swayed to another side and be tempted by his own desire is because he's got sin in his life. Sin that he either wants to justify or sin that he's just not ready to let go of. And so when God's word tells him to to go the opposite direction and he's holding on to that sin, most likely he's not going to be listening to God's word. God's word's not going to be as effective, not because it lacks power, but because this man is suppressing the truth and unrighteousness much like the Gentiles addressed in Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18 and going through the end of that chapter and so what we first have to do before any approach to studying scripture is make sure that sin is put away in our lives we've got to repent we've got to to turn away from sin get our lives right with God and 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 be, ready in our minds, be in the right headspace, if you will, to receive God's word. And it won't be received properly if we're holding on to sin. But he adds this, the way we receive it. How do you receive it? What's your your disposition? What's your attitude towards God's word? Well, the opposite of what will lead to wrath in receiving God's word is meekness. This is the Greek word praotes and Strong defines it as mildness, that is, by implication, humility. Art and Gingrich kind of elaborate on this idea of humility. It's, it's, it's humility, but it's certainly a deeper connotation um, to it, a deeper idea that is certainly humility in a general and surface sense, but there's a deeper implication to it. Art and Gingrich define it as this. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Now, this meekness could be in response to or in relationship with another person. And we're not going to be arrogant, thinking we're we're more important or better than another person. So we're going to deal with them in a gentle way, in a mild way, and in a helpful and loving way. Kind of like in Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2 We restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That's the same concept, considering ourselves, lest we're also tempted. But consider it, especially, I think, in this context, a meekness toward God. And so we don't consider ourselves as overly important and we're not impressed with a sense of our own self-importance. And that would come from this decision to go our own way, to to that double-minded man deciding to go his own way instead of going in the wisdom of God. It comes from a lack of of meekness. He thinks that his ways are better. Vine gives us another description of that term, which fleshes out more so in this context what we're looking at. He says meekness is that temper of spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. And so we know that His wisdom is coming from the word of truth. We know that the word of truth saves our souls. It brought us forth. It made us a child of God and saved us from our sins initially. And so we accept anything that God's word says, his dealings with us as good. It's always for our good. In him is there no variation or shadow of turning. He, he's never going to give us something that is darkness. The temptation doesn't come from him. He only gives us what is good, and the way he gives it to us is through his word. And therefore we accept it as good, and we have a disposition, a spirit, an attitude of humility that will automatically at face value, at, at the at the face of it, accept God's word without disputing or resisting then it's able to save our souls. If we accept it, if we, if we don't reply against it, if it doesn't make us angry, but, but it just breaks down our hard-heartedness and our, our hard-headedness and, and we just look at it as something that is ultimately good and beneficial and it alone is able to save our souls and we receive it in that way, then indeed it will save our souls. But this comes with setting aside our own will. It comes with this predisposition that is the opposite of double-mindedness. It's a single-mindedness. And before we even hear what God's Word has to say, we know that since it is God's Word, that's the best way. And it doesn't matter what I'm going to have to change in my life. I've already made the decision before hearing God's Word that I'm going to do what it says, which brings us to verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So you're swift to hear, but as you're swift to hear, you're going to receive it with meekness, but the receiving it with meekness and the reason the being swift to hear is going to be beneficial is only if you are also a doer of the word. Otherwise you deceive yourselves. And this is the same kind of of thing as we read about the double-minded man who asks with doubting, he's going to to ask for wisdom. And when he sees that wisdom, what he's really thinking is, I'm going to go this other way. He's double-minded. He has a hidden reservation. And that's the temptation of verses 13 through 15, of which verse 14 says he's enticed. And we spoke about that in connection with this verse. He's deceiving himself. He's deluding himself. It, It doesn't do us any good to ask God for wisdom, God to give us wisdom. And then I say, well, you know what? While that sounds okay, I'm going to do what I want to do. That is self-deception. It will not profit. It will not save your soul. You must be a doer. So he gives us an illustration to really show the folly in being a hearer and not a doer. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. One of the reasons for mirrors, one of the, the uses we have for mirrors, is to look at ourselves in that mirror, examining ourselves. It's a it's kind of practice of introspection, but really on a more uh, shallow, in a more shallow way, and on a more shallow level. Uh, it's vanity. That's why vanities are called vanities. The mirrors that we look in to see how we're looking and to see how our outward appearance is. Well, the reason we look in a mirror is to make sure we're in order, to make sure we're presentable, um, to make sure we're looking um, the way we should be looking, the way we perhaps want to be looking, or the way that society wants us to look. Whatever our focus is, we're, we're making sure that nothing's out of place. So if I look in the mirror And my hair is messed up. If I look in the mirror and there's dirt on my face, if I look in the mirror and I've got a blemish in some way, I'm going to see that. And the whole purpose in looking to find one of those things is to fix it if you can. Do something to, to change it, to cover it up, to correct it how many of us has looked in the mirror and saw something wrong like that before going out in public and decided, you know what, it's not a big deal and walked away from it and just forgot what we were only to go into the world and everyone to see how goofy we look. Well, I don't think many of us have intentionally done that, but he says that the person who actually looks into the word sees that it's telling us to correct something, telling us to go a certain way, telling us to do a certain thing. But then going away from that because you don't want to do it and forgetting that you ever even saw it, it's like this man looking in the mirror. It's foolish. It's quite ridiculous. It's, it's a little laughable. But when it comes to this spiritual principle, it's very, very much important. And it's a serious matter. That's what we do, though, when we hear God's word, but we don't do it. And it's a grave mistake. But here's the positive side of things. Verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So we look in it and we do it. We continue in it. It's a perpetual obedience. We're not going to do it for a moment and then stop. It's something that is constant. That's the one who will be blessed. And it connects us, I think, back with verse 12. Blessed is the man. Who's the blessed man? Well, in verse 12, it's the man who endured trials. He's the one who loved God and therefore receives the crown of life. That's the blessing. Well, in verse 25, the blessed man is the one who does God's word. And the whole context is asking for God's direction in trials to endure it. And God gives us that direction and we do it. Then we're blessed. We're blessed at the moment of gaining maturity and growth in Christ And we'll be blessed in the end by receiving that crown of life. But we don't forget what we heard. We apply what we heard. And not only do we apply what we heard then, but we continually apply what we heard. Now, there's something important here. He calls it the perfect law of liberty. He's speaking of the gospel of Christ. It's the same word of truth in verse 18. It's the same word that we're being swift to hear in verse 19, and it's the same implanted word in verse 21, which is able to save our souls, and it gives us freedom. John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, Jesus says, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And he goes on to tell the Jews that they were slaves of sin, but his truth frees them from sin. That's our focus. That's our desire. But only the person who does the word is given that liberty that the word or law has to offer. One other thing is important. James is establishing a foundation for even the next chapter. The next chapter is something we largely remember as the chapter dealing with faith and works. Did you notice there in verse 25, he says that the one who is blessed is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of, not the word, he says the work. It's a work that we perform in submission to God's word that frees us from sin and gives us the blessing of fellowship with God and the hope of that crown of righteousness we read of in verse 12. It's something we must do. You don't just hear it and believe it, but by hearing it and believe it, you do it. It's not just an option that we have to take, but it's the priority. It's the, it's the necessity. It's the law. And in order to have that salvation and that, that hope of heaven, you've got to be a doer of the work. And so we've got to make sure we're laying aside all of our, our opinions and our thoughts and desires knowing God's word is most valuable, having the humility to accept it, and to do what it says in order to find any kind of blessings. We will continue in verses 26 and 27 and then make some side applications as to some misinterpretations of verse 27 that I'm sure we're familiar with, especially involving institutional practices and this failure to separate The individual from the church. And so we'll make some of those remarks and applications next week on the fifth episode of of Pondering Scripture. Thank you for your attention, and I hope you have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.